0: Um, today I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 40, and that's verse 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice calling, a voice of one calling. what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely, the people are grass. the grass withers, and flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go upon a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, do not be afraid, say to the towns of Judah, here is our God, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm, see his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him, he tends his flock like a shepherd, he gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The second reading will be from First Peter chapter 1. I'll be reading from chapter, I mean, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. Their grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever.
1: Cara, thank you very, very much uh, for reading that for us. Please do keep your bibles open. Can I say hello uh, if you have not met already? My name's Andy, uh, the Minister here at CCB. And it's great to have you with us today, particularly if you're joining us, your friends, family of the parents, uh, please uh, do, if you can, keep your Bible open uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Uh, that's uh, page uh, 916. i love you to follow along with me in your Bibles. And you should have a little handout on the back of your service sheet, give you an idea of where, where I'm going to go in a moment's time. We're going to be looking. It's only uh, about five, six verses, but it's very dense, isn't it? But it's brilliant. And in this series, we've been thinking already about how Christians are are travellers. We're on our way uh, to heaven and, uh, and we're going to discover what it looks like to be on that journey, on the way, uh, as we travel together. So please look at that, uh, keep that open with me. I'm going to pray, uh, so let's uh, bow our heads. Father God, thank you so much for having seen the gospel already today in Will's baptism. Thank you, Lord, that every time we see a baptism, we see our baptism. We see our death, our resurrection, our life with Christ, our security in him. And I pray, Lord, that now as we hear your word, uh, you would speak powerfully to us by your spirit um, whether we're new to christian things or whether we've been following jesus for ages i pray lord that you would speak to us help us to know what it means to be one of your people amen now if you're ever in florida on holiday maybe on a sunday you're looking for somewhere to worship well you might want to check out daytona beach drive-in church here it is. As you can see, it it's uh, um, operates of an old outdoor cinema. And if you go to their website, this is their tagline. Their mission statement is this. Come as you are. Stay in your car. <laughs> well, at the gates, as you drive through, you get, uh, you get your, your handout, you get your service sheet, you get an individualized pre-packaged communion set. And what you do, you, you rock up, you park up. Do not get out your car. And, uh, and there you tune in to 80, 88.5 FM, you listen to the service. And then once it's over, you can drive off and you don't have to talk to anyone. And um, one lady, uh, a member of the congregation, she said this. She said, it's, it's people who put me off church. I just feel closer to God when I'm alone. I don't know what you make of that. Maybe you think, oh, this is individualism gone mad. Uh, maybe you think it re- reveals a selfish consumer mentality. Uh, maybe you think it's a fundamental denial of what it means to be human, sort of hermetically sealing ourselves off from one another. I don't know what you think. Here's what I think I wonder how, I've been thinking how easy it would be to functionally do the exact same thing here to rock up, park on your pew, say a nice hello to people around you, receive, like at a cinema, all the action up front, and then go, having picked up your kids, go, having not really spiritually engaged with anyone, not having a meaningful, loving, spiritual conversation with anyone, like a cinema, just sitting with people, then going. It's easy to do that, isn't it? Now, no, I know, I don't take for granted, we're all, we're all wired very differently, aren't we? We have different characters, different personalities, different experiences of life. Some of us find relationships really easy. Some of us find relationships really hard. Some of us are outgoing and obedient. Some of us are much more withdrawn and, and, and shy. Some of us have never been betrayed. Some of us have never had trust broken. Some of us have never had love spurned, whereas others of us have experienced all of that way too often and way too early in life. Which means when we come to things like this, our walls are up because we're expecting people to hurt us and damage us. I don't take that for granted. And yet we are called, all of us, to love one another. The Apostle Peter is writing this letter to followers of Jesus who are, who are suffering as exiles, as outcasts from the Roman Empire and sent to these various different provinces. They, they had every reason to just try and blend in with the crowd, blend in with the world around them. They had every reason to disassociate from the Christians around them, to sit loose to church, to hermetically seal themselves off from others. But if you are here last week, we heard Peter calling them, calling us to be holy because God is holy. Now, I don't know you think of, when you think of a holy person, maybe you think of a, a monk who sort of locks himself away from the world in a monastery for silent contemplation and prayer. Maybe that's what you think of in your head as holiness. But no, in our passage today, Peter clarifies that holiness is utterly relational. A holy person is not someone who locks himself away privately in prayer and contemplation. A holy person is someone who loves the family they've been adopted into. And here in our passage today, we're given three reasons why followers of Jesus should love one another here. And if you're here today and you're sitting in on Christian things, I think this is going to be really helpful to you. To get an understanding of what, what drives Connor and Becca, or perhaps the friend who brought you. But for the rest of us, we need to see what are these three reasons. Well, the first is this, you'll see on your handout. The pure truth motivates or produces pure love. Could you look down again, verse 22. That's chapter 1, verse 22 in your Bibles, uh, page 916. I love it if you could follow with me. You would see the pure truth producing pure love. Verse 22 Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now the word translated purified here sort of carries the meaning of being set apart of being consecrated for a purpose now a few weeks ago i shared with you how the palmer family deal with our toothbrushes we have a very strict system here is my toothbrush it has i don't literally have my name on it but the blue band signifies it is mine it has been set apart consecrated for my personal use and i have to admit when i come upstairs to brush my teeth i'm slightly put off when i discover it's already slightly wet and I wonder which of my family have, 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 have used it. I get, I get that worries me. It's been set apart for my use, for my purpose. Well, as we heard a moment ago, the, the pairings have obeyed the truth. They, they have declared and, and they live with Jesus as their risen Lord and Saviour. And, and Wilf's baptism is a picture of what the Spirit has done to all who believe. He has been purified, that is, consecrated. He's been set apart for a reason, for a purpose. Well, what is that purpose? For what purpose has the truth set us apart? Has the truth set us apart in order to be theologically sound and discerning? Has the truth set us apart so that we can think we're slightly superior to the idiots who don't know the truth? No. Verse 22, look again. Now that you've been purified by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Let's play a word association game. Philadelphia. What do you think of? Philadelphia. The che- everyone said cheese. I, I think of the city where the fresh prince was born and raised. On the playground is where I spend most of his days, chilling and maxing, relaxing, cooling, playing And be, I won't go on. Or you think of cheese, the fresh and creamy uh, cheese. Maybe you think of that. But the, the, the word for love here is Philadelphia. It doesn't mean the fresh prince. It doesn't mean fresh cheese. It means brotherly love. Philadelphia. Brotherly, sisterly love. In baptism, we've all been adopted by the same heavenly father, what does that mean of us to each other then? We're all siblings to one another, spiritual family to one another. And so we love one another as family. We've been purified so that we might love one another as family. Now in our culture, we, we think of love as just a feeling, don't we? An emotion which kind of comes and, and goes. And, and so we tend to wait, don't we? We wait until feelings of love are there before showing acts of love to people. And particularly British people, we tend not to show acts of love to people we don't know. Because we think that's a bit weird. We wait until the feelings are there, and then we show acts of love. But surely that's the wrong way around. In the Bible, acts of love come first. Feelings follow. I, I, I think of my Connect group. Um, I think, as you look at us, we are a random mix of characters, ages, stages, backgrounds. Nobody will look at our group and go, yeah, that'll work. No, <laughs> no one would. But over time, and over many meals, and over many acts of love, I genuinely love these people as brothers and sisters. I look forward to them coming round Wednesday by Wednesday. Because they're my brothers, they're my sisters, different as we are. So in verse 22, Peter calls us to love one another sincerely, not just with British politeness. He calls on us to love one another deeply, not shallowly. He calls on us to love one another from the heart, so that is with purity. Not with, not with selfishness and so preparing this passage this week as we've been preparing it, it just made me think of all the different ways and thank God for all the different ways which I receive love uh, from uh, people here in the church family uh, just this last week uh, on Monday a friend of mine knew I was having a bit of a hard time um slight discouraged so he he drove to my work to have lunch with me to encourage me or I, I think of a, on Wednesday morning, every, you know, every, you might know, every single Wednesday morning, someone in the church family comes to our house to help Hannah take the kids to school because that's particularly stressful. and they can do it, She can do it on a Wednesday morning. That's what she does every week. Or, or I think on Thursday night, Hannah and I really wanted to go to a parenting a seminar and someone volunteered to say, I'll babysit for you. I'd love you to go to that. I don't think Hannah and I have ever paid for a babysitter because people have always put the hand on, we want to do that for you. Now, please don't think I'm just getting special treatment because I'm the pastor. Seriously, you could talk to anyone here and everyone would have their own little little stories like that. Uh, I was chatting last week with um, someone who's been at CCB for, I think, about three months, four months. And he said it's really weird. I arrive on a Sunday, I walk in. I'm, it's weird. People are genuinely excited to see me. It's like they like me. And and he said they, they, people send me encouraging WhatsApps throughout the week. How are you doing? Oh, I'm encouraged by this and that. Uh, people follow up with me when, when they miss me on a Sunday. They, they wanted to see me. He's been all up five minutes. And you know, what? the longer you're in your church family, the deeper your friendships and the more you get out. See, this sort of love is costly. And therefore, it's not always easy. Which is why we need to keep ourselves rooted in the truth of the gospel you see the very truth this is cool the very truth which has consecrated us for love is the very truth which keeps motivating us to love when hannah and i were first married her, her mom who's a relationships counselor thrust this book into our hands hands up if you've uh, read or heard of the five love languages yeah, a good number of us. It's quite useful, isn't it? Um, it, it kind of, um, the premise of the book is that each of us show love in different ways because we like receiving love in different ways. And the challenge is therefore to work out what your spouse or, or family, what types of love they like to receive and then try and love them in that way, even if it isn't your particular way. So you've got quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, receiving gifts, physical touch. <laughs> Hannah's all five, by the way. High maintenance.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> Well, if we're to love one another as brothers and sisters, Philadelphia, we need to first see how our Father has loved us. You see, our, our God, he has, our Father, He has given us His Son, who took on our human nature and spent quality time with us, among us. As He lived His adult life, He lived it as a servant of others meeting their needs before his own. Uh, through his word, even now he is constantly giving us words of affirmation, I love you. Yeah, you're a sinner, but I love you. He has lavished us with gifts, chiefly his Holy Spirit at one another to keep us going. Ultimately, of course, Jesus gave us his physical body. As his body was broken on the cross, he reunited us with our Father, and we will be raised with him on that last day. See, what, what makes God's love so utterly remarkable is that he didn't wait for feelings to arise before he showed it. Nor did he just loved those who, who love him back. No, we read earlier in, in, in Peter's letter, in eternity past, our God and Father set his love upon us. He chose to love us. Even though so much of my life I've, I've spent ignoring him and rejecting him. That is the pure truth. That is the pure truth which produces and will keep producing pure love for one another here. Philadelphia. But in verse 23, Peter goes on to give us a second motivation. He goes on to tell us about the enduring word, which produces enduring love. Look at verse 23 now. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Now, when you hear the word "born again Christian," you're probably imagining a certain type of Christian, right? You know that type. You're thinking of that especially zany and zealous. I'm born again Christian. You're like, ah. um, but in the Bible, actually, the only type of Christian are born again Christians. There's no other type. The moment you accept the word, the good news being preached to you, you are born again into god's family you're given new birth into the church now this is where it gets awkward no one particularly enjoys thinking about how exactly they were conceived do they at one point my father's seed connected with my mother's egg and that's what made me me oh this is so awful isn't it let's not so I'll go, but this is the imagery here. But, it, but, but that seed which made me, it is perishable. It's perishable. One day, I'm going to be lowered into the ground. And so are my children. And so are my children's children. See, the Palmer family and the Palmer name are perishable. But God's seed, which we're told is the, the living word, which gave us life. God's seed is imperishable. Which means that everyone who's in this family will live forever. Their names will never be forgotten. And that's why in verse 24, Peter bursts into poetry. He's quoting the, the prophet Isaiah, which, which Kara read for us a moment ago. Look at verse 24. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Now this poem is written about 700 BC and in it, God is promising to bring his people Israel out of exile where they were. Now at the time, the Babylonian empire, which held them captive, they looked so powerful and so glorious. But God says one day they're gonna be like grass. They're gonna be like the flowers of the field. At which point God is gonna bring his scattered people home to him. And God's enduring word will be proved to be true. And so you can imagine why Peter quotes from Isaiah 40, because his readers were also exiles. Not just physically away from Rome, but spiritually being away from heaven. See, at the time, again, the Roman Empire seemed so glorious, you know, it seemed so majestic. But that too withered, that empire too fell. But Peter's saying, oh, but God's kingdom, God's kingdom, the one he is gathering us towards. It will endure forever and ever and ever. God's enduring word will be proved to be true. It will. Now remember, what, why is Peter talking about that, the enduring word? What was he doing all this for? Remember, remember where he began. He's trying to motivate us to love one another. Because we're going to be spending eternity in one another's company. Now, if you've ever taken kids on a long car journey, you may appreciate it's not always peaceful. This photo was taken at 7 a.m. on the first day of our summer holidays. We're about to set off on about a six or seven hour long car journey to France. Needless to say, they weren't smiling all the time. Sometimes, I, I admit, sometimes there are arguments and disagreements. That might surprise you, I know. Now we have devised various different techniques to get our kids to sort of love one another in the back of the car on a long journey. What you can do, you can separate the boys, that's crucial. Put the peacemaker in the middle, put the troublemaker in the back. You can bribe them with sweets. You can warn them with threats. I'm gonna turn this car around. Um, you can put on your, your child cancelling headphones. <laughs> Highly recommended. But you know, all of those things that are only ever short term fixes, short term solutions. See, the, the only way they're going to behave is, is if they really know, they're really persuaded that they are in the same family. And so they're always going to be in the same family. So it makes sense for us to enjoy traveling together because we're going to be enjoying our holiday together, our destination together. And we're going to be enjoying in one another's company, we're going to be enjoying that for all eternity too. Throughout, Pete, throughout his letter, Peter's been describing Christians as sojourners, travellers on the way. We don't travel alone. We do not travel alone. We travel in a family. And it makes sense for us to enjoy travelling together. It makes sense for us to endure in loving one another because we're going to be travelling together for all eternity. The most important relationships in life are often the ones in which you need to play the long game. Because the longer that you're together, the greater your capacity either to love someone or hurt someone. And that's true whether it's a marriage or in your family or in your church family. So, unlike the sort of brief encounters which you might have at a dinner party or something like that, you'll never meet them again. So, you know, you could be your conversations are shallower. You can be more cavalier in your sense of humour and things like that, can't you? But here with one another, we need to play the long game. We need to invest in our relationships here. Endure in our relationships here. Uh, that's why everyone here at, CC, at CCB is in a connect group. We encourage everyone to do that because you need a small group of people who you know and who love you. That's why we want everyone to join us on the church weekend away. And we'll pay for people to come who can't afford it. That's why I encourage people to join a prayer triplet or a Bible reading partnership because we need to endure and love one another, have deep love for one another. You know what's really encouraged me in recent years at CCB is the number of people who've decided to stay we live in a city which is really ephemeral. Uh, people are always coming and going in and out of the city. Relationships are often highly fleeting, aren't they? But it's brilliant. It's brilliant when our friends in the church say, even though I could get more space elsewhere, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to remain here because I want to play the long game with you. I want to travel with you through life, through the ups and, and through the downs. We all need Christian friends like that in our lives. We need Christian friends who are going to be with us for the long haul. And I know Connor and Becker are so blessed to have friends like that. We all need friends like that. We need church like that who show us enduring love. But here's the final motivation. We now hear about the good milk, which produces growing love. Chapter 2 and verse 1, look down with me. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. This is quite negative, isn't it? You, you might be surprised that Peter's extreme language here to describe the inner workings of christians in these churches you might think whoa that's not oh, seems a bit out of nowhere it's a bit extreme peter i don't think it is that extreme now, i don't have a little window to sort of peer into someone's heart to see what motivates them we don't see that motivation in people do we, we don't get to see the roots but we do get to see the fruits the bad behavior which is produced by these sorts of roots. So when Christians gossip about one another or are needlessly critical of one another, perhaps that reveals an envious heart or an insecure heart. Well, when Christians verbally embellish themselves and, and, and sort of lie about themselves, or say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to come along to that thing. It's going to be great. I'll be there. And then they flake out because they get a better option elsewhere. Perhaps that reveals a hypocritical heart. We just can't bear to allow people to see the real us. And when Christians are short-tempered with one another or brusque with one another or disinterested in one another, talking but looking over their shoulder, wishing you're talking to someone else. I admit I sometimes do that. Perhaps that reveals a malicious heart that's forgotten who this person is. They're a brother, they're a sister. See, these are all sins that you see in church life and they destroy community. They really do. So this phrase here in verse one, rid yourselves. It literally means take off, take off. It's as though these motivations are old clothing. You see, new birth into God's new family requires wearing new clothes. It's a bit like what you ha- see happen in football. I don't know much about football, so I texted various football friends and they tell me what, what's going on in the football scene these days. But I, I gather it's fairly commonplace for players to be exchanged between clubs for various sort of usually vast amounts of money. Uh, so for example, Harry Kane, who I haven't have actually heard of, uh, he's been playing for Spurs, I gather, since he was a little boy. And over the decades, he's been scoring goals for them and not winning trophies for them. But apparently this summer, he's been transferred to Bayern Munich for 90 million pounds. And as soon as Harry signed that contract, guess what? He got a new kit. He had to wear it. So he can't now rock up to his Bayern Munich games doing the same pose wearing the old Spurs kit that'd be completely inappropriate and utterly confusing particularly if he's ended up playing Spurs in in the Champions uh, Cup final which is highly unlikely you see that the, the change of team requires a change of allegiance and a change of clothes and a change of behavior well we Christians we possess the same sins as everyone else out in the world but by his undeserved grace, God the Father, he has transferred us into his family at great cost, far greater cost than 90 million. Because he sent his own son to pour out his precious blood for us, that we might belong to his family, his team. Which is why then, friends, we endeavour to keep taking off the old kit and keep putting on the new kit of love. None of us find this easy. That's why it's the most repeated command in the New Testament. Love one another. It's hard, right? But we all need to grow in it. And that's why Peter changes metaphors there in verse 2. He says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, milk is an extraordinarily effective means of growth, isn't it? Um, compare Wilf here up on the screen. Compare him as a newborn. Here he is as one week old. He's definitely a pairing, isn't he? And now compare him with what he is now. I think he's a year and a half old. Here he is uh, walking around, tongue out in concentration. Like his father. What, what accounts for that extraordinary growth in that really short period of time? What accounts for that rapid development? His mother's milk. Connor and Becker didn't look at one week old Wilf and said, yep, job done. Stay like that. They want him to grow. They want him to mature. They want to see him running around tongue out. They want to see him develop further and let him kick a football and, and write bad poetry and, and all those sorts of things. <laughs> that wasn't in my script. I regret. <laughs> Friends, Peter's comparing us to vulnerable newborn babies. Uh, just as Wilf needs milk in order to grow. Well, so we need the Lord Jesus Christ in order to love. Not, we don't just need his word. We don't just need his sacraments. We need Jesus Christ. We need the Lord. It says, verse 3, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, we need Christ. Now, I don't know if you've ever come across Huel. Hands up if you've heard of Huel. You see it advertised everywhere, don't you? Uh, it's, a health, it's marketed everywhere as a sort of healthy food substitute. Uh, healthy fuel for those all too busy Gen Zs or something like that uh, their promotion material tells us it's a good swap for your lunch it provides all the carbs and essential fats it's high in fiber all 26 vitamins and minerals high in protein very low in sugar and phy- phytonutrients um, it can save you on prep time and it only costs one pound 32 per serving but before you I'm sure you're all very tempted uh, before you will sign up you've got to know it's essentially a powder to which you add water okay so if you're eating for fuel, you know your life's already over. Jesus is not fuel. Yes, he is everything you need, but he is not a joyless nutritional paste. He is good. Jesus tastes good. Uh, Peter's quoting here from Psalm 34. Johnny took us there in our confession earlier, didn't he? And David wrote this psalm, just having experienced this amazing redemption and salvation, this amazing rescue from the Lord. And having found refuge in him, David calls out to us that the, the hearers of this song. He says, You guys taste and see that the Lord is good. God is not a nutritional paste. God is not a subject to be studied. God is a banquet to be enjoyed. So if you're here today, maybe you're just looking in on Christian things. You've kind of been dragged along by Connor or Becca or maybe your friend or family or a spouse. Hopefully you've seen there's something different here. Hopefully you kind of smell the aroma. You think, as you smell the, the food here, you think, oh, Okay. These guys really love God. They really seem to love one another. Maybe you smell that. There's something different here. Maybe that smell is really attractive to you. Maybe you smell it, but you've not yet tasted it. Well, to taste it like David in his psalm, you need to experience his salvation. You need to experience his forgiveness. You need to experience his mercy, his grace, his love. Because once you taste Jesus, you'll keep on coming back for more and more and more. And today will be a good day. So come and see, to come and taste and see that the Lord is good, not heal. It's good. But for those of us here who've already tasted the Lord's salvation, well, look, we're like newborn babies. They're very quickly hungry again. And we, so we crave more. We crave more. And the more you desire Christ, the more you're going to grow up in his likeness. See, that good milk, it produces a growing love. I appreciate some of us here, First time at CCB, you need to think about this stuff. Others here, you, you are a member of CCB, but you recently arrived and you look around and say, well, I haven't got that sort of depth of friendships here yet. Be patient. Come on the church weekend away. Join a connect group. You will. I appreciate for others of us here, we've had really deep friends here at CCB and then for one reason or another, those friends have moved away and it hurts and it's painful. Don't sit aloof. Invest in new friends. I appreciate that as we grow as a church, we can't love one another equally just as we did when we were 40 people. But we can love people really. But in this time of exile, I encourage you, whoever you are, lean into your church family. Do not sit aloof. Do not hermetically seal yourself off from others like in that Daytona. It's not a church, is it? What are they kidding? Who are they kidding? Don't do that. You've been saved in order to love. Love purely. Love enduringly. Love growingly. So do it. Shall I pray that we'll be empowered to do that? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the love you've lavished on us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for having seen that in Will's baptism today, seeing our baptism Thank you, Lord, for your love. And Lord, I pray that whatever walls which we've erected around ourselves, whatever cars we might be sitting in, keeping others at arm's length, help us, Lord, to get out of the car. Help us, Lord, to go and love others truly, deeply, sincerely, from the heart. And so experience even more of your love. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.